You're listening to Just Ask the Question, Adventures in Reporting with your host, Brian Karam. Hi, welcome back to Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Karam, and this is our weekly review of the news, all the news that fits uh, on Just Ask the Press. With me, is, as always, is former federal prosecutor Michael Zeldin and editor-at-large from CQ Roll Call, John T. Bennett. Today, we're going to unpack the latest in the Majorca impeachment. Uh, the House has issued two charges against him. Meanwhile, Texas is fighting the Biden administration and 24 GOP governors sign on to what amounts to a brinkmanship for a civil war. At the same time, Donald Trump has lost $83 million in civil court to E. Jean Carroll because he can't keep his mouth shut. Will he now? Uh, The New Hampshire primary, did it expose a Trump weakness? And, of course, this Friday or last Friday, the White House, had, we used to call it a garbage dump at 6 p.m. You know, a lot of information was dumped on us then, including, uh, well, uh, something about the border. So why would you place that at a 6 p.m. garbage dump? We'll have that and a lot more, plus the NFL showdown and your letters when we come back. <laughs> In this modern age of misinformation and deceit, Just Ask the Questions newsletter cuts through the BS and gets to the truth with Brian's in-depth articles, columns, and exclusive content not released anywhere else. Get the scoop and stay in the know. Sign up for the Just Ask the Question newsletter now at substack.com slash J-A-T-Q podcast. Hi, we're back. It's Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Kierman. Our weekly <laughs> review of the news called Just Ask the Press. And with me is former federal prosecutor Michael Zeldin and editor-at-large from CQ Roll Call, John T. Bennett. God damn, John, sorry. <laughs> Welcome, guys. <laughs> Good to see you. Uh, let's let's start with the first things first. And, and Michael, you can unpack this one probably better than anybody else, I hope. <laughs> Mayorkas. The head head of the of uh, our our wonderful um, well let's see House Republicans held two hearings on an inquiry into uh, Homeland Secretary Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas and on Sunday as we record uh, have two articles of impeachment accusing him of willful and systemic refusal to comply with the law but really offered no facts and. Uh, um, no witnesses against him for any factual uh, basis to levy these uh, charges. Will this go? I mean, it's it looks like politics, but I'll let you unpa- unpack it. All yours, brother. Right. So Mayorkas, the Homeland Security Secretary, has been sort of the favorite uh, whipping child of the Republicans for a long time because they are running on the border crisis. And we'll talk about later the failure of the parties to reach con- uh, an agreement on the border. But so Mayorkas has been the the person in their crosshairs, and they just don't like Biden policy. And so they've called Mayorkas up to the Hill a number of times to talk about Biden's uh, border policy, and he's offered them information, but they think what he's saying is not true, and that because of that, he's obstructing 
their investigation. That's one of the articles that he's obstructing their investigation and making knowingly false statements. Now, false is just a subjective evaluation of what's going on at the border. They say it's a problem. He says it's not as big a problem. They say when you say that, that's a false statement. That's right. not going. It's not going anywhere. And then the second one is what they call a willful and systemic refusal to comply with the law. Um, and of course, again, this is a subjective evaluation. The the conservative wing of the Republican Party thinks that Mayorkas and Biden are not doing enough at the border, and so they've decided to, because they're running. As I said, they are running on the immigration uh, as their number one issue. What did Trump say? I'll only be a dictator for one day, one day. And what I'll do in that one day is shut down the border. So, I mean, the border is there. And drill for oil. Well. <laughs> right, well, drill for oil, although, of course, the data shows us that the Biden administration is doing more drilling for oil than any of his predecessors um, to the dismay of the environmental community. But so... Because this is a political issue upon which they are basing their hopes in 2024, Mayorkas is um, a perfect foil for, for that. And if you look at what is a high crimes or misdemeanor um, by analysis, one, he hasn't committed a crime. And remember, during the Trump impeachment, they argued that Trump could not be impeached because he hadn't committed a statutory criminal violation. Apparently, that only applied then and doesn't apply <laughs> now. And then secondly, it's sort of an abuse of of the office, the famous Alexander Hamilton explanation of a, what is a high crime and misdemeanor. It's sort of abuse of the political office. And usually it's for some sort of personal gain or violation of, of law. And neither of those things are, are present here. So the bottom line is, You've got this, you know, show thing going on, similar, I think, to the Biden impeachment. Right. Uh, and but that hasn't stopped them because they think that it is good political fodder for their campaigns and the red meat that their base um, expects from them. So John, is it going anywhere legally? No. Okay. Is it enough? For them to continue to pound the Democrats on politically, yeah. So, John, that's the big thing, I guess. It's it's all political. Do you think it'll can can the American electorate see through it, or is it it is it going to have traction? <laughs> yeah, uh, don't on, smirk like that. <laughs> <laughs> on the one hand, on the one hand, firing up your base in you know what will be in large part a turnout election. Is, is not a bad strategy. On the other, turning off independent voters in what will be a very close election might not be the best idea. And one thing that we saw in the New Hampshire primary, and believe me, I've been to some states. I know they're all different. I don't, you know, I know listeners will point that out. Though. Every state's different. You know, South Carolina's not New Hampshire. I got it. Um, but what we saw in New Hampshire is Donald Trump, at least that first data point that I talked about last week, now we have one with independent voters. He has a problem. He has a problem. We think. We'll find out as the primaries go. Other places and that where problem independents... is 
they he lost independent voters by a big margin to Nikki Haley. Yeah. And we'll see in other states where in well, yeah, we'll get to that. Um well, and we'll see as the primary process goes where uh, other states where independents can can vote in in the GOP primary, we'll find out more about that and how how serious that problem for Trump might be and if it sustains. And we know I talked to Senator uh, Kevin Kramer, a Republican uh, from South Dakota recently, and he told me when he talks to independent voters that it's it's them who are these days as fired up about immigration and the border as Republican or Democratic voters. So it, it resonates with independence. It's it's increasingly important to everybody, but especially independence. And, you know, this impeachment drive for Mayorkas could turn off independence. And one reason why is it's not going anywhere in the Senate. You would need two thirds um, in a Senate trial to remove him from office. And they, they don't have anywhere close to those votes in the Senate. Um, but they have reasons to want to to want to prolong this impeachment push. Um, remember, it'll slow. It'll it'll bring both chambers first during the House process. It'll bring the floor to a stop, and then when the Senate does its trial, it'll bring that floor to a stop. And remember, um, the debt the debt law from last year has a provision that if there's no agreement on fiscal 2024 spending by April 30th. Then non-defense, it's a small cut. It's about 1%, but but conservatives want cuts, and that's one way to get it is, is, to, is to move this impeachment thing now, prevent work toward that fiscal 2024 spending deal, because then you got to put the thing on both floors and pass it, probably with amendments. It might need to ping-pong back and forth before it goes to Biden if it passes, um, and that'll, that could take a month. So they have reasons to drag out this impeachment thing because it'll shut down the floors of both chambers. And lead to government cuts in spending. Non-defense. So uh, 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 domestic spending, which is what conservatives have wanted to cut for my entire lifetime. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> That's another issue for another day. But this goes on. Mayorkas goes on in the, uh, you know, it's kind of at the same time concurrent with the fights in Texas on the border. The federal government is, and of course, the Supreme Court ruled five to four that the federal government couldn't force uh, the policies along the border, which was kind of scary to me that it, you know, it, it was a fight. It should be a nine to nothing vote. It would seem like it would be a foregone conclusion that the federal government can defend the sovereignty of the United States. But by the slimmest of margins, five to four, they ruled that the federal government could. That hasn't stopped Texas from still trying to keep the federal government from enforcing federal law on the border. And at the same time, you've got Marjorie Taylor Greene. There's a name I just love saying when I'm sober. Uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene is uh, calling for a national divorce uh, which sounds a lot like civil war, and that's been the talk. Um, and we can discuss both of those issues. But Michael, what's the next step for the federal government? Can't, I mean, Texas. Uh, I mean, the next legal step. Texas is defying the Supreme Court, the and the federal government. What's next in that war? Well, the in that battle, the president can call out troops to in, to enforce the 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 border. He has that he has that authority. To do that, we saw presidents 
do things like this in the civil rights era when Eisenhower and Kennedy and others brought called in the the the, the National Guard to enforce uh, court orders um, for desegregation. And that that's his power. But the thing of it is, is just like with Mayorkas, this is this is sort of what they want. They want this showdown. They want the TV of federal troops on, you know, sort of one side of um, the right. road and, and maybe state national guard, or I don't know who else, you know, vigilante um, posses on the other side. I, I don't know, but that's, that's what they want. So they can say there's chaos. Biden has created chaos and you need to bring us back to restore order. That's the that's the message. This is why when we'll get to it in a minute, Trump is so against a bipartisan border deal, because if there is a border deal, this issue uh, goes away and this is his issue. Um, and so the, the president is in a, in a particularly difficult position as a optics matter on the one hand. But on the other hand, it has the opportunity to show strong leadership, which is to say, the Supreme Court of the United States has ruled, and I am going to enforce the law of the Supreme Court as is my obligation to take care that the laws are faithfully executed. And if these governors want to defy the United States Constitution, they do so at their own risk. And, you know, then you see how it plays out on TV. Do people think that, yay for Biden, he's being... Uh, the president that uh, we hope for in crises like this, or are they saying the Republicans stole the the show um, and got the chaos that they want? And you'll need to ask um, political strategists about how they think that plays out. Well, how does that play out in the media, John? You know, I'm not sure yet, uh, to tell you the truth. Um, I don't think calling for civil war, again, back to independent voters, it's not going to play. I don't think it plays very well with them. I think Republicans are quite literally playing with fire here, um, but they can't help themselves, can they? And no. And conservative media, um, you know, this might feel new to some of us, but if if you've consumed conservative media for more than, you know, one commercial break, one segment, this right. has been a this has been a constant since since the Obama administration. So how it plays out in the media is, and I know Brian, you have some feelings about uh, our hour with a capital O border coverage, and I'm sure you're going to get to that momentarily. <laughs> um, and I'll leave that to you. You're the expert here <laughs> on that. Um, you know, we do the best we can. I can tell you from trying to research this recently for something I was writing. It's hard to find dependable numbers on crossings and deportations and and parole. You know, people who are released on on what's called um, immigration parole awaiting a hearing, and how many of those hearings are are going down. It's and the numbers that you do find from different sources because you're trying to verify and cross check they don't match. This is very hard for us. This is and to go down there and let's be honest. 
more than ever, media is a business and it's run like a business and to go down there is expensive. And to stay there for any, you know, prolonged amount of time to get a, a true picture of it rather than, um, you know, Rush Limbaugh used to call us the drive-by media and he wasn't wrong uh, in total about that. You know, to go down there for two or three days, um, you know, that that's probably not, you're not going to get the most accurate picture. You're going to get a snapshot, but you need to stay for a couple of weeks. That's expensive. And, you know, try getting that, try getting that trip approved. Well, uh, even if you go to uh, Laredo, it used to be so cheap. I could get a $99 flight and a $30 hotel in a good end of town. Well, now, yeah, but, now you need insurance. You need you need insurance. You need yeah. protection. Yeah, you got to hire need a fixer to go right. across the border. You didn't mm -hmm. have to have that, uh, you know, 30 years exactly. ago. But yeah. to your point, yeah, we, we don't cover the border very well. We don't understand the issues very well. The numbers are, are difficult to ascertain. The question remains, and the one that is always um, that you have to look at, are drug seizures up and what's the effect of of um, the coyotes and have they, do they have uh, tunnels underneath the, the border wall and under the border? How that, that tells you a little bit about the infrastructure. The numbers, even 30, 40 years ago, you know, it would be border patrol who would tell you, look, we, we will catch sometimes the same couple of people two or three times a night. Mm -hmm. And, and so that, that takes that, that skews the numbers. And then whether they, and then after the end of that, they would say, look, if we didn't catch them again, we figured they got across. It's not a new situation on the border, but what is new is this call for a national divorce. While at the same time, there are, there are even indications that the that the Speaker of the House, uh, Mike Johnson, has is would favor the compromise bipartisan bill that has been introduced, but Trump won't let him. So at the end of the day, I, I you know, Michael, you had said something, and John, I think you had said it in the break before we started. I, I, I really do think that it calls for when it when it when you're talking about leadership, the president to go on national television and call this crap out for what it is yeah that was michael before um, we started michael said and i yeah, agree with him that, i agree with him yeah i agree with that michael i think that at the end of the day and if you want to show real strong national leadership i don't know if it's it's ramping up what you know what they would love to see is a showdown and that would and by the way john that would bring into the hakuna, hakuna matata thing i, know. I heard, <laughs> the, I heard. Posse michael said the that. word uh he said the word posse, and my ears went up, and not in a great, Pos not in a great the way. The posse commentatus act. I will say this much for those who don't know: John and I, and and, I and still, briefly, John and I went in I during the Trump I can still smell era. the room, the yeah. stale coffee, and people's lunch in the trash can. I can still. Yeah, and we went in asking because Donald Trump was going to put troops on the border, and we said, "Did he get a waiver of the posse commentatus oh, act?" God. And Hogan Gidley, <laughs> no one in that administration knew what that was, though it was Republicans who proposed and passed the legislation <laughs> and have supported it for years. So you don't turn uh, the your army into a national police force. You have to get a waiver from Congress mm -hmm. of the Posse Comitatus Act. And at the end of asking about that, he discussed a few other things, and he, he told us as we stood there in, in his office— He'll get back to us about that Akuna Matata thing.
So then Hakuna Matata oh, thing is coming up again. And while you could do all that and ramp it up, I, Michael, the, I, I like that idea of putting the president on national television and going, look, folks, this is all blue smoke and mirrors. And here's why. Yeah. So I think so. I mean, one of the things, one of the refrains of the two of you is essentially um, where in the world is Carmen San Diego? Where is Joe Biden? And yeah. it seems to me, again, I don't know enough about the politics of this, but it seems to me from the legal perspective that he can say, just like Eisenhower and just like Kennedy and others, when they called out troops to enforce the, the decisions um, in integrating um, public schools, that I am standing with the Constitution as interpreted by this Supreme Court of all courts, you know, this Supreme Court um, to enforce the law of the land. And anyone who seeks to interfere with that behaves in a, you know, sort of treasonous um, way. And, and we will consider whatever actions are appropriate to make sure that the laws of the United States and the constitutional mandates as expressed through this Supreme Court decision is properly enforced. Um, that would be a wonderful thing. Let me <laughs> let me let me say one more thing about this. Um, Johnson, Speaker Johnson, not putting. No, okay, number one, it's important to say this. There's no deal as we record at eleven forty four on Sunday yes. morning. There's no deal. There's no framework. There's no ground. No guidelines. There's no one pager, and there certainly is no bill text. And once you start writing bill text, you get into the legal details. This is very complicated. So th there are there are multiple steps and hurdles before there's a bill. So, you know, listeners, when you hear about this deal and this bill, there's neither yet. They're still working on it. The Senate and the White House. A deal in concept, I guess. I don't the... know if that's true either, Brian. I, I think they well, agree that, on a lot of stuff heard and from... they, they still disagree on a lot of stuff. What I heard from uh, sources on, on Capitol Hill is that they have, and I guess you're right, it's it's kind of nebulous, but yeah. they all agree that they need to find agreement and would love to sit down yeah. and find the agreement, but for the fact that Donald Trump yeah. doesn't even want them right. to talk and to And that's where I'm going, sorry, I got, I got myself yeah. bogged down. I threw myself in the weeds yeah. and got bogged down. Okay, Johnson not bringing the bill to the floor and the votes not being there are two different things. The votes yes. are there, including, you know, I'm I'm speculating here, but I've been doing this a little while. There are enough vulnerable House Republicans, the Biden 17 plus the Santos seat, which is vacant. So the Biden 17 um, House members who won districts in places like New York State in 2022 that Biden won in 2020. Those folks have plenty of reason to vote for any possible, eventual, maybe deal bill that comes out of the Senate. And most Democrats, if not all Democrats in the House, would vote for it. So there are 217, 218 votes. There might be th there might be 250 votes in the House for what might come out of right. the Senate. But Johnson not putting it on the floor, that's a different matter. That's because Donald Trump and his far, and to. his far right faction the freedom caucus types um that 
could still bring a motion to vacate the chair and they vote with all the Democrats and Johnson is no longer the speaker. So there's a lot going on in the House. Yeah, there's bipartisanship in that case, isn't yeah. there? <laughs> so Johnson's not bringing it to the floor is about politics, not because the votes aren't there. Right. And on that wonderful thought, we're going to take a short break when we come back. Oh, boy, Donald Trump still – God, can we stop talking about the guy? But anyway, Never. he's got Never. an $83 million judgment against him because he can't keep his mouth shut. We'll talk about that when we get back. Hey, Just Ask the Question podcast listeners. If you've got a second, head on over to Twitter and follow our official page, JATQ Podcast. That's JATQ Podcast. In this modern age of misinformation and deceit, Just Ask the Questions newsletter cuts through the BS and gets to the truth with Brian's in-depth articles, columns, and exclusive content not found anywhere else. Get the scoop and stay in the know. Sign up for the Just Ask the Question newsletter now at substack.com slash JATQ podcast. Hi, we're back. It's Just Ask the Question. I'm your host, Brian Karam, on our weekly review of the news, Just Ask the Press. With me, as always, former federal prosecutor Michael Zeldin and editor-at-large from CQ Roll Call, John Bennett. And at, we left talking about the fight on the border. We enter this segment of the show talking about the fight in court that Donald Trump has, and not even the criminal fight, but the civil fight. This week, Trump lost 80 $3.3 million to E. Jean Carroll because he could not keep his mouth shut after losing to her in court again. Uh, there was a, I, I, I don't even know where to start with that comedy of errors. He, he couldn't keep his mouth shut in court as uh, Elena Haba, 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 Haba couldn't uh, defend him in court and was admonished by the judge on several occasions for not knowing simple court procedure. But the big question is, um, according to the New York Times, he will have to pay something to appeal this case as he, as him and his lawyer has threatened, uh, both have threatened to appeal this, this loss. Uh, can you walk us through that, Michael? What, what must he do and what actually happens next in, in the case? All the vitriol aside. So Trump gets sued, part two of his defamation. Part one, he is found to have sexually abused E. Jean Carroll in a dressing room and lied about it. And so he was found responsible for his acts and paid, uh, I think, $5 million penalty for the initial defamation. Leaving well enough, well enough alone is not something that Trump does. And so he started talking again. And defamed her again. And so they brought the second part of the, the suit. And in that case, the judge said, look, the question of whether or not he sexually abused her has been settled. This mm. trial, the second trial, is only about how much money he shall pay for this second defamation. Alina Haba didn't understand that and kept wanting to try the first case all over again. And the judge kept saying no. Ms. Haba, that case has been settled. We're talking now about a different case, but that was not something that 
she easily comprehended. <laughs> the question in the in the second case was, what amount of damages? And she asked for compensatory damages, which means sort of to compensate you for the injury you suffered. So you're in a car crash, you break your leg, you have a medical bill, and they got to compensate you for your out-of-pocket expenses and maybe some paid suffering, mental anguish. In this case, though, if in addition to that, Trump was found to have engaged in his conduct with sort of malice, purposefully, purposeful, Jordan? bad purpose, um, they had the authority to issue a second judgment, which was called punitive damages, which is essentially punishment damages. So one is compensatory, fix the broken leg, pay for the doctor's bill. The other one is punish the person for their purposeful bad behavior. The jury returned a verdict of about $18 million in compensatory damages, injury to her reputation, and then $65 million in these punitive punishment damages. And the thing that's so shocking about this is that one, you'd think that the defense would have been, this was not malicious and in a sense, it may have happened, it may not have happened. I'm not admitting or denying that because that first case is on appeal, but I certainly didn't do it with malice in my heart. Instead, Trump decides to show up at court and starts whispering to, to his counsel in a voice loud enough for the jury to hear. So Eugene Carroll's counsel keeps objecting, but he keeps in the course of the trial in front of the jury, says things like witch hunt, con job. <laughs> And there's a jury who's trying to figure out whether he's behaved in a malicious way, and he's doing it again before their eyes. He's very lucky that this jury of seven men and 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 two women, many of them, they're all anonymous, but you know their demographics. They're all, many of them are sort of working class folks. This is not the Upper East Side elites that were on this right. jury. They were from various counties around uh, the state. Rockland and, and 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 Queens and Bronx and and they're lucky. He's lucky he only got a sixty-five million dollar verdict. He could have gotten a hundred million dollar verdict. And I think the the thing that must really upset Trump is that Giuliani has to pay more in defamation punitive damages <laughs> than he does. So he doesn't even have the biggest punitive damage case out there. So you know here he is coming in second again on uh, on. On a legal matter, I say that facetiously, but um, yeah, but I know you do. <laughs> but that's that's um, that's where we are. And so now, to answer your very specific question, he's got to post a bond in order to appeal, and that bond has to cover the eighty-three point three million dollars um, that he will have to ultimately pay. Now that's pay. the important part. Yeah, he's got. He's already posted the five million dollar bond. Now he's going to post an eighty-three point three million dollar bond. And as someone was talking about the other day, when he gave his deposition and it was asked, how much liquid capital do you have? He said about $400 million in liquid capital, meaning, you know, sort of in the bank and able to, you know, write a check for that sort of liquid capital. Right. Um, now we're expecting at the end of this month, the decision in the Letitia James civil fraud case where she's asked, for 300 and plus million dollars. 
if they win that case, 300 plus million dollars, plus this 83 plus five, he may be at the end of his liquidity. He may have to sell property in order to um, post bond in Letitia James and this case. And remember in Letitia James, they're also asking that he be forced to divest himself of his uh, real property, that there be a receiver set up. So these two cases have the potential really to put him in a position very similar to where Giuliani was, which is at the end of the day, Giuliani couldn't pay his bills and declared bankruptcy. I don't know if Trump declares bankruptcy because he's got real property that he can sell, but it may be the beginning of the unwinding of his financial empire, which is why he shows up in court all the time, because this perhaps matters to him more than his liberty. Yeah, that's what I've always said. You know, two things that I remember. First of all, uh, hats off to our friend George Conway, who was instrumental in getting uh, E. Jean Carroll, I understand, to file this second suit, uh, meeting her at a party and saying, hey, listen, you could really go after him, and she did. Uh, the second is I, I don't think you can under – what you were talking about, his demeanor in court drove this – and I don't think you can understate that un, you know, at, at all, because the simple fact of the matter is two and a half hours to deliberate. I've covered trials where it took an hour just to get them around the table, had the instructions read to them, introductions right. made, and then, and then another half hour to finish up shop, sign the papers, 45 minutes. So they, it, it looks to me like they, it, what they saw in court was enough for them to reach a decision, as you said. He continued the malicious behavior in court, and the rest of it was superfluous. But, John, we both know that he's going to spend this. Well, so, <laughs> You said something at the beginning of this segment, Brian, that uh, I want to go back to. You said putting the vitriol aside. No, 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 no. no. Yeah. The vitriol is the point <laughs> and the driver and the motivation. So with Donald Trump, you never put the vitriol aside because he never puts the vitriol aside. Um you know, I jokingly texted uh, my friend Brian Karam the other night when uh, the E. Jean Carroll decision came down, and I joked uh, it might be time to sell a golf course. And listening to Michael lay all that out, that's the first time I've heard or, or read anybody lay it out quite like that. I guess yeah. my joke uh, wasn't it needs to have less humor than it was meant to Friday night because he might have to sell a golf course yeah. or something else or something and else. He's yeah. He's got, yeah, yeah, he's got assets. I mean, yeah, liquid is, is one thing, but he does have uh, a lot of assets around the world. And, you know, he sold his hotel, for instance, uh, here in Washington, DC, it's now owned by uh Waldorf Astoria. And, you know, he made a good chunk of change on that. So he has things that he can unload if he can find a buyer and, you know, Waldorf Astoria had had no problems, um, you know, taking the former Trump International Hotel and, and slapping their sign on on the out front. Yeah. You know, there are buyers out there. Imagine if he has to put Mar-a-Lago up for sale. Well, well, Trump is right when he says he's got some premier <clears throat> that he's got some premier properties. He, he does, does have some premier yeah. properties. Um, yeah. If you listen to, you know, he's I'm sorry, he's going to say he, he's completely. Um, leveraged on them, he you know it's mm -hmm. not like he owns them outright. They're, they're owned as as much by lenders as they are by him, but he has got some equity in in these uh, buildings. 
Now yeah, that's well. right. And, and these golf uh, courses, uh, Doral uh, in Florida, uh, the Trump uh, club here in Sterling, Virginia, near DC before Trump sided with the live golf tour, the PGA tour had no problems uh, holding event, holding tournaments at Trump courses. These are, these are world-class golf courses. So, you know, somebody would, would, would buy one if, if he needed to raise some cash. Everything he owns to me just smells like a blue boar cafeteria. But what do I, I just keep thinking of a cheap Kmart and somewhere in Oklahoma? Well, he, you know, he that, likes golf and he wants to be respected in that community. So his that's why the courses are, are, are championship, um, championship caliber. And of course, because he's told us he himself is a world-class golfer. Yeah, that's he's won 21 <laughs> consecutive uh, club tournaments in Florida. That's all I can tell you is that he reminds me of what my dad used to call a military golfer. <laughs> left, right, left, right, left, right, all the way down the fairway. <laughs> anyway, uh, we're gonna with that, we're gonna take another short break. We'll come back, we'll talk about the New Hampshire primary and the White House garbage dump of info. Stick around, we'll be right back. <laughs> Hey, you. Yeah, you. We're talking to you, and we need your help. As you probably know, independent journalism is a vital pillar of our democracy. Like everything else, it's not free. We're asking all longtime listeners of the show to help support us by becoming a member on Patreon. For the price of a latte, you can help guard democracy. Join us today at patreon.com slash JATQ podcast to help us keep bringing you the podcast you love and the facts you deserve. Hi, we are back. It is Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Caraman, here to discuss the Week in Review, our weekly, our weekly idea of Just Ask the Press, uh, is former federal prosecutor Michael Zeldin and editor-at-large from CQ Roll Call, John T. Bennett, and when we left, we were talking about uh, golf courses, but now let's talk about uh, the New Hampshire primary. We discussed it earlier, and and John, to you, um, talk a little bit about the supposed exposed weaknesses that that came out of that New Hampshire primary victory for Donald Trump. It's not as as rosy as he would like us to believe. No, it's not, and a big reason for that is uh, independent voters and Democrats. Democrats could change their party affiliation in New Hampshire and vote in the Republican primary. You only get to vote in one primary, and, and some Democrats uh, chose to vote against Mr. Trump. Uh, most of them, if not all of them, voted for Nikki Haley, the former South Carolina governor, former U.S. ambassador to the United Nations. Of course, her boss then uh, was Donald Trump, ironically. Um, so uh, Trump's victory was... You know, it's it's about what a lot of us expected, you know, percentage point wise. I believe it came out just over 11 percentage points uh, in the end. You know, Haley's camp say that she overachieved, uh, but they were really hoping for a single digit margin and they didn't get it. But on the flip side, what she did get was a boatload of independent voters. And as we were alluding to earlier, this this could be a big problem for Trump. It's just the first data point. We didn't have a data point on this. Uh, we had polling that suggested independence. Um, we know that independent voters don't want Donald Trump 
afford Joe Biden to run uh, this year for president. Right. Uh, but we, what we got was actual ballots, actual votes cast, and uh, independents went for Haley. Uh, it does suggest that Trump has a problem as as we really head into the thick of it here. He's not doing very much to win them back. Um, I think he does have a succinct line that we hear. I think I've, I've mentioned it here, and, and I've certainly written it for RollCall.com, is um, he has a line that, you know, folks want a strong military, a secure border, and they want to be able to buy a house. That's a pretty succinct line. Joe Biden doesn't have a line like that. The problem with with Trump is he doesn't stay on that message uh, very well or for very long. And he has no bat. And he has and no real policy. Yeah, no policy to, to back that. There's no policies. So, that's, other than to cut taxes to the rich, which mm -hmm. is not going to achieve the goals that he says that they will. I I get you. Yeah. So, but at the same time, you you had also talked about. So that exposes a Trump weakness. But there was a. Is there a a Biden weakness? Uh, I mean, Michael talked about the need for perhaps to explain the the ongoing border problem, but you all, th there was an attempt Friday. And for those who don't, who never saw the West wing, right. There was, and, and this is a truth, true situation in many white houses. They wait till Friday afternoon after five o'clock to dump the stuff in the public and press in their releases that they don't really feel comfortable, uh, you know, telling the world about until, you know, they can make sure that it's not going to be fodder for, uh, you know, the evening news all week long, maybe for the Sunday shows. But one of the things they dumped, it's called garbage dump of info. One of the things they garbage dumped on Friday was uh, about the border. So I, I, that exposes a weakness there. You want to talk a little bit about that, John? Yeah, this was this was interesting. I was in the briefing room, uh, the White House briefing room this week, and John Kirby and Corinne Jean-Pierre, the press secretary in the National Security Council's top spokesperson were, were asked about the border multiple times. Uh, they gaggled on Air Force One when the president um, traveled. They had other briefings later in the week. Um, and and uh, every day they're asked about the border and immigration. And they did not say at, at any point this week what they said in a statement that went out, I believe, around 545 Eastern. Yeah. Um, on Friday of all times, a written statement with the president's name on it, which matters, saying yes. that the the deal, not deal framework, not framework that the senators in the White House are working on would give the president the authority after certain, it didn't say this, but we've learned since, um, after certain thresholds are crossed to, quote, shut down the border, whatever that means. Um, right. So it's a it, you know it's a way on one hand the house is coming back uh, next week they were on recess this week it, it, on one hand it's a way to jam Senate Republicans it's it's also a way to to try to put pressure on House Republicans and Speaker Johnson to at least bring the thing to a vote because there's this authority there and Joe Biden said if this bill became law he would on the first day after enactment uh, press the button and shut down the border whatever that means, because it's a 2,000-mile border, Joe, uh, Mr. President. I'm not sure how you shut that down. We said well, you, just, you, you, you can't build a— You build the damn wall. <laughs> <laughs> well, exactly, Michael. And make Mexico pay for it's, it. It's, it's important. That's a great idea, Brian. 
Say that again, because I had never heard that before. We've... Yeah, make Mexico build a wall, make Mexico pay right, for it. What the hell? Right, John? That's right. Now it's important to say that and 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 to say that sarcastically, sardonically toward President Biden, because we did the same thing rightly when Donald Trump was president and he talked about shutting down the border and sealing it and building a wall. You can't do you it. You can't do it. It's too it, it's too long, it's too austere. By the way, there's a river. Um, but by the way, there's something called the Big Bend area of Texas, right. which, folks, if you've never been there and it's beautiful, looks like the Grand Canyon. Right. How the hell do you shut that off? So there are all these questions that we're raising here and others. Uh, but but as a message, uh, President Biden saying that there is this authority and I would use it on day one to shut down the border. Um that is a way and putting out the, I get putting out the statement. I don't get putting it out on a Friday evening, heading into a weekend where everyone's just worried about when does the football start? Uh, right. But I know what you're, I, I, I get the sense of what they were trying to do, but this is not a paper statement game anymore. You need to say it into a camera. Yeah, if it's not we Kirby, if it's not John Kirby, who's, who's probably their best messenger, then it needs to be the president himself. And, and I just, I understand the sentiment. I understand revealing that this authority is allegedly in the deal, no deal, framework, no framework. Um, but that's also, by going out there and saying it's it's in, that's a hell of a way to get it out by Monday morning. Yeah, well, let's go back to that statement too. It was a short one, but it says, let's be, this is the president signing this. Let's be clear. What's been negotiated would, if passed into law, be the toughest and fairest set of reforms to secure the border we've ever had in our country. Now, that's nice in a statement, but damn, that would be much more effective if it were on on screen. And then at the end, he says, for everyone who is demanding tougher border control, this is the way to do it. If you're serious about the border crisis, pass a bipartisan bill and I will sign it. Man, that I, yeah. you dropped that. I, I got 226,000 views. <laughs> All I did was yeah. cut out that statement right. and tweet it out. Right. And so it there is resonance there. Why aren't we saying that goes back? Right. To, why aren't we? Michael, no, we're going back to I've you, got, man. Get the president. I've got, I've got one more thing. One more thing. Sorry. If you're going to put okay. out a statement like that on a Friday and then all the reporters are like, what the hell is this? What's he talking about? Put out the statement at 545 and then at 548 send out a notice that you're going to do a briefing call at 6.30 and explain to everybody what you're talking about. There you go. Michael? I forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> I, I was, I was so taken by the eloquence of John's comments that I just As always. Thought, well, As there, always. Is nothing, there is nothing I can add to that. Just well, maybe a, maybe a brief amen. Ugh. I love it. Like Let I'm, me add this. Like I'm back in Carolina. Two, yeah. Two th two things that also came up. I want to talk a little bit about uh, Peter Navarro going to jail for four months, but I also want to talk real briefly, and I want to get everybody's take on this because this one made me laugh. It's the report after the Pentagon, right, <laughs> investigated the Trump administration. They said that the uh, pharmacy headed by Dr. Ronnie at one point in time, who said, claimed that Donnie would live to be 200 years old, that they were handing out prescription meds like candy in the White House. 
I always said, and and John, you were there on a couple of occasions. I would walk downstairs. I would say, Jesus, looks like I picked the wrong week. The cops, you know, stop sniffing glue, quoting airplane to describe my daily experience covering this shit. And at the end of the day, it just looks like uh, it clearly shows that the Trumpers never stopped sniffing glue while they were in the White House. I, I'm not surprised by it, but at the same time, am. Well, that's well, 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 well. Dr. Ronnie was also the White House physician at the end of the Obama administration. That's when I picked up the White House beat and I heard stories about when the Obama folks would come back on Air Force One, for instance, from an Asia trip with the president and folks couldn't sleep, they're jet lagged, they're trying to work on the plane, that in the Obama in the in the Obama White House, the joke was go see the candy man. That was Dr. Rodney. So this wasn't just a Trump White House phenomenon, okay? No, important to say that. Apparently I, I, I get that and I agree, and that's what the Pentagon report shows. But I do think that it clearly explains some of what we saw okay. in the White House during Trump. <laughs> do, you, do you agree? Disagree? <laughs> no comment. <laughs> I I never witnessed any of that. I I can't speak. To okay. it. I did. I we all heard the same stuff. But I heard. Uh, I heard Anthony Scarmucci saying that Donald Trump could swish, 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 throw probably with the energy of uh, of a ferret on Benzedrine. I heard Dr. Ronnie say that Donnie Trump would live to be 200. I saw the manic state of Hakuna Matata. <laughs> Come on. Well, that was muscle <laughs> milk. Yeah. That was... <laughs> and we all love Hogan. Love yeah, Hogan. I do love. I do love Hogan. Um, so but, I would uh, say my... some people don't need chemical help. No, no, they're stupid all by themselves. <laughs> the, my, my, Michael, but uh, what on a serious note, Peter Navarro, four months. Does that really mean anything that he's been sentenced to four months? It means something to him. He's going to go to jail for four months. <laughs> That's not where you really want to go. Um, I know. I think it's an important. I think it's an important point, just as it was um, in uh, the Steve Bannon case, which is these guys willfully defied subpoenas and they were referred to the justice department who brought charges and uh a jury uh, a, a verdict rather was was rendered and they are now sentenced that's the way the system is supposed to work for everybody and so you so know, is it, jim jordan in trouble well not uh apparently he defied a subpoena but nothing ever came of it other than his insistence that everybody else comply with subpoena requests but him uh funny thing that but yeah yeah i think it's important i think if you believe that the the system works best when it is applied to all and it obviously is not equally applied to all depending on your means and your demographics justice system works very differently but in this case yes i think it's a it's a a victory for those who believe that irrespective of your level of importance in government, you too can be held accountable. So he's got a four-year sentence, which I'm sure, four-month sentence, which I'm sure he'll uh, he'll appeal, um, which is his right. And then he may end up four, four months in jail, which I can tell you, having spent a lot of time visiting people in jail, you don't want to be there for four minutes, no less four months. And even if it's the so-called country club, prisons there's no such 
thing really as a country club prison. They're prison. And um Yeah. You know. That's what he Or as Michael Cohen said, Camp Camp Cupcake isn't really all that much of a cupcake. Yeah. And I'll tell you, having spent some time in jail for keeping a confidential source, some extended time in jail, you don't want to go to prison for four months. You don't want to go to jail overnight. You don't want to be in jail for weeks or months. So, yeah, I'm with you on there. The last thing we want to talk about, go ahead. I John, want to, you had some? Excuse me. I'm all choked up thinking about Peter Navarro in jail. Um, I have nothing to add about <laughs> Navarro, but I wanted to go back to the Trump E. Jean Carroll decision. I forgot to mention this. Uh, our friends at Spot Track note uh, projected MLB, Major League Baseball, team payrolls for 2024 season, which is about to start. Three teams, the Miami Marlins, the Baltimore Orioles, and the Oakland Athletics are projected to have payrolls less than $83 million. So that puts a little perspective on just how much money we're talking about here. Yeah, and the Orioles won the uh, division yeah. last year with that yeah, under $83 million pennant. So with that said, uh, John, what would you like to plug? Uh, tune in uh, every day, rollcall.com. Uh, the House is back in session, and uh, topic one, two, and three all week will be uh, the border and uh, national security spending talks in the Senate. And can they budge the House at all? Uh, we'll find out. Stay tuned. All right. Michael, your turn. My podcast is called That Said with Michael Zeldin. It is a book. Which I really enjoyed this week, by the way. Good. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, which is a book-based podcast. Um, I think the latest one was Chaplin versus America, how he got thrown out of America um, for being uh, a premature anti-fascist. Um, and um, <laughs> an interesting little footnote there was one of the people who was banging the drum to get him out was Ed Sullivan, who at the time was a, a right-wing um, columnist uh, out uh, in the hinterlands. So uh, I think next week we have a book coming out with um, Ed Ayers, the professor of history down at the University of Richmond that um, President Obama bestowed uh, an award on for uh, brilliance in history writing. And then after that, the, the legendary Dave Kindred, uh, uh, the sports columnist who, in my book, is up there with Red Smith and, and some of the other uh, luminaries in, in the sports world. It's a very touching memoir uh, that, that he's written about his days covering on the front end the Muhammad Ali's and Super Bowls and all that. And on the back end, returning to his small town in Indiana and covering a high school girls basketball team. So it's a great, it's a great read. Um, so that's the interview that I do. Well, there you go. I'm going to listen to that one, having covered Southern Indiana basketball. Uh, that's where this is. The name of this the... is Southern Indiana. He comes from. What, what part? He come. I think they call the Lady Hoppers, and um, they are from Atlanta, Indiana. Wow. That, well, there you go. I, and I know the area. The name of this podcast is Just Ask the Question. Uh, I want to thank our readers and our listeners and our viewers for making us number two in uh, independent political podcasts on Good Pods. Thanks for joining us, and we will catch you next time.